Mark chapter 8. And I don't know, I was thinking about it like, you know, what is it about Christians? You know, then I don't know. I, I know there's a lot of things we can say about that. Like what makes us tick? What, you know, really is the core of who we are? Now, two things stand out in our study today. Number one is the Christ. Bottom line, Jesus. That's what it is about Christians. Number one, the Christ. Number two, the cross. The cross is instrumental uh, not only for us but in us. Uh, we're going to see that in our study today. It's so cool. But we begin reading in verse 27 where it says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. You know, I'm sure you guys know that this is the most important question in all of life. You know, when you look at this right here, it has to do with the identity of Jesus. Who was he? Who is Jesus? You know, here we read about the Lord and his disciples. They're walking along the road to Caesarea Philippi. If you cross-reference Luke 9 and Matthew 16, you get the full picture. And what was happening is they're on the road. They pause to pray. Jesus is praying. Then his disciples, they come. They join him to pray. And as they're there, and who knows what the Lord was praying about. Maybe he was praying for them. Not really sure. But he asked them that question, who do men say that I am. What is the consensus of the crowds? What do the polls say? What do the people say about me? You know, and I don't think it was that the Lord didn't know. I think he just wanted to start. He wanted to stimulate that question. Just like today, you know, that's an important conversation to start uh, for us as a congregation. You know, I know for a lot of you here, you're Christians, you know the Lord, praise God for that. Maybe there's one or two, or maybe there's a few of you here that you're not yet a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who do you say Jesus is? Very important. So the disciples, well, they answered and they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah or, you know, one of the prophets. Uh, Luke says that they thought maybe Jeremiah. And, and that sounds kind of funny to me, to be honest with you, because um, I, I don't know. Uh, it sounds a little bit like reincarnation. You're Elijah. You're Jeremiah. You're John the Baptist. Well, from a pagan perspective, yeah. You guys know that the Hindus and the Buddhists, they believe that, that you come back as another person or another being, maybe even uh, an animal, an insect, different things like that, right? Different life forms, right? We don't believe that. Some of the pagans believe that. We know for sure the Jews didn't believe in reincarnation. And so when the Jews had that perspective about Jesus, saying he's Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets, what they were saying is that he came in the same spirit and the same passion and the same purpose. It was a ministry just like these other men. And so, you know, Jesus heard them out. It's interesting he didn't even address their answer. It didn't matter to him what the consensus of the crowd was. What he did was he turned it around, just like he does with all of us. He narrows it down and he makes it personal because 
Really, you guys, that's all that matters at the end of the day, at the end of your life. When we stand before God on that day, and you're going to stand before him one day, who do you say Jesus is? You know, praise God, we have the answer in our Bibles. There in verse 29, Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. You know, we cross-reference it with Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, and we get the full answer where Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, Peter, maybe it was an answer to prayer, but somehow received a revelation from the Father. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven, has shown you who I am. And you gave the right answer. You said, I am the Christ. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, a lot of people out there, they don't even know really what that means. You know, there are some people, have you guys ever heard someone uh, cuss, use Christ as a curse word? There's a lot of people out there doing it, and people paying movies to go see them and hear them say Christ as a curse word. There are some people who believe that it's just his last name, just like you have a, a, a John Smith or a Pedro Rodriguez. You know, you have Jesus Christ, and that's his name, right? They don't have a clue. They don't know what Christ means. You know, for us, we got to understand the full meaning of his name. You know, back then, they didn't do it that way. They would identify you as the son of Joseph or the son of Mary or the carpenter's son. Or maybe you're the carpenter, right? That's how they did it then. But, but when it comes to Jesus Christ, what we got to know is that it's, it's actually not a name. It's a title. It's a title of who he is. And just like any other title, what that does is reveals your role and responsibility. Have you guys ever had a coach? You ever had a coach? And what is his responsibility? He gets you in line. He tells you what to do. He makes you do sprawls and you know, sprints and all that kind of stuff, right? That's what coaches do. Or maybe there's the owner of the team. That's the owner. That's the governor. That's the president. Those are titles. He is the Christ. That's his title. And so you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does the Christ mean? Well, we get our English word from the Greek word Christos, and that comes from the Hebrew word Messiah. It's all related. If you read Daniel 9, 24 and 25 and 26, what you find is that, that Christ, that Messiah, what that means is the anointed one. So that's who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He is the anointed one. And again, you might wonder, well, then well, what, what does that mean? What does it mean that he's the anointed one? And here's where we got to know what the Bible teaches, right? To be anointed according to the scriptures means there's a special purpose, there's a special power, there's a special position that that person has, right? And it's by the Spirit of God where a person gets that position and power and purpose. And what we find when we read the Bible is there were three offices in the Old Testament that were anointed. And that was the prophet, the priest, and the king. And what we find when we study the scriptures is that's exactly who Jesus is. He is the anointed prophet, priest, and king. And so as the prophet, he's got a message. As the priest, he is the mediator between God and man. And as the king, 
He is the majesty that we submit to as citizens of his kingdom. And, you know, when you really begin to discover all these, what is it about Christians? You know, what makes them tick? What's the core of who they are? Number one, we know who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the anointed Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. He's the one. He's the one. He's the coming one. He's the only one that can save us. Because what we find is that throughout their history, God communicated to the Jews and then revealed to the rest of the world through them that one day the Messiah, the Messiah, the Savior would come. You know, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that there are hundreds of predictions written thousands of years before Jesus was ever born, and he fulfilled every single one of them. You know, on the back counter, uh, we have a handout for you guys. And I do encourage you to pick it up on your way out because, you know, I've been studying for a long time. I got books on prophecy and I've read a lot of websites and answers and things like this, but I've never seen a handout like that handout. 365 specific prophecies from the Old Testament about the Christ who would come one day. And it gives you the Old Testament prediction, a little bit about it, and then it gives you the New Testament fulfillment. And it is absolutely amazing because it's absolutely undeniable that the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is divine. It's supernatural, it's miraculous, and it's beyond compare. You know, most of you here, you're already Christians. If you read that, it'll make you stronger in your faith. It'll be a faith builder. And if you're not a Christian, read it, look over it, compare it to any other so-called religious leader, and you will find that there is no comparison that is crystal clear that Jesus Christ is the one, the Messiah that the Bible had predicted would come. You know, when you read the scriptures and you read the book of Acts, what you would find is that when they would go to the synagogues and when they would go to the marketplace, the one thing that they would share is that Jesus is the Christ. That's what they would prove. You know, when Paul the Apostle, he got saved, he spent a couple years, uh, it says, in Arabia. He just studied the Bible, him and the Holy Spirit. Then he went back to Damascus, and you read in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, and in verse 22, that all he wanted to do was to prove that Jesus is the Christ. Because what that does, you guys, is it points us to the one, the only one that can save us. You know, here we read that Jesus told them not to tell anyone yet. And for a couple of reasons. Number one, it wasn't time. That would be on Palm Sunday. That was the public day. And number two, because they didn't really understand what that meant, the Messiah. Oh, yeah, he's supposed to be the king, right? Well, not yet. Before the crown, there would be a cross. They didn't know that. So he said, don't say anything yet. But that doesn't necessarily mean that no one knew. Now here we see that Peter knew. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. It even goes back to the very beginning. As I was going through all the different cross-references, I was blessed by the ones that I read specifically in the Gospel of John. And I thought I might take you guys there if you would. You guys like turning in your Bibles and staying awake? Do you guys like doing that? You're like, no, Manny, I like to sleep during church. Okay. I still love you. But next time, have a monster. Okay. John 1. You guys remember the background in John chapter 1? What was going on was, uh, 
you know, John the Baptist was, uh, was preparing them for the coming of the Christ, right? And he said, I baptize you with water, but there comes one mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? And one day, Jesus is walking along, and he says, hey, there he is, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Andrew, he goes and he follows Jesus. And we pick it up here in John 1, verse 41. He first, uh, John 1, verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And so he first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. I mean, John the Baptist said, hey, he's the one. Andrew says, okay, I'm going to go spend a day with him. He spent a day with him. He discovered he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. First thing he does, he goes to Peter and he says, we found him in the very beginning. So one of the things I do encourage you guys to do is to do what they did. After they found out he was the Christ, they became his disciples. Okay? Next, if you would, go over to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, it's a, a chapter where Jesus goes out of his way to meet with a woman. Not because he's interested in her in that way that we usually are as guys, but because he loves her and he wants to rescue her from the terrible situation that she finds herself in because she is a woman looking for love in all the wrong places. She is a woman who is looking for love in a man on earth rather than the God in heaven. And Jesus knows this, so he says, man, we got to go through Samaria because he is going to meet with this woman. And so he meets with her. You guys remember the conversation? He starts it up, and next thing you know, one thing leads to another. And, you know, as Jesus is ministering to her and sharing with her, it's interesting the way that it progresses the conversation and then if you look at John, it says in John chapter 4, in verse uh, 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Isn't that cool? That must have been crazy. And the woman's like, I know you're a prophet. There's something about you. And one day the Messiah is coming, the Christ, and when he comes, he doesn't tell us everything. And Jesus said, I'm him. Isn't that cool? You know, here she is in a desperate situation, and Jesus shows up. You know, I want to encourage you guys to know that today. You know, you come to church, and you're like, well, I got to go, and it's my religious habit. It's what I do on Sundays, you know, and uh, whatever. Someone's dragging me here. They're making me. They're bribing me. They're telling me I'm going to take you out to lunch afterwards, right? And so you find yourself here, but really, when you look deep, deep down in your side, you've got, inside your heart, you've got no love, that something's empty, that something's missing. Maybe you're here, you're addicted to porn or drugs, or you know, you're engaged in sex before, your, before marriage, and you know that's not right. That's what this woman was doing. And so Jesus met her there, just like Jesus wants to meet you here. Mia. That's, this is the love that's real, the love of God that's pure, that's saving, and that will wash away your sins. 
You know, we read that here, you know, being a disciple and meeting him in desperate situations. And then, you know, the most desperate one of all, obviously, is the day that we die. And so for that, you go over to John chapter 11. And you guys, maybe many of you know the story when Lazarus died and, and, you know, he was a friend of Jesus along with Mary and Martha. They're all siblings together. And so, you know, Jesus goes there in the midst of that situation. And in John chapter 11, uh, we read in verse 25 that Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. How many of you here think that you're probably going to die one day unless you get raptured? You're like, oh, I don't know. Let me just tell you something. The, the odds are one for every one person dies. And you know, a lot of people think, well, it happens when I get old. Not to try to scare you or anything. Believe you me, I don't like to do that. But the bottom line is, none of us knows when. And so here's this crazy situation. Lazarus dies. But Jesus said, if you believe in me, though you die, you'll live. What's he saying? You'll go to heaven. You believe in me, you'll go to heaven. Oh, does that mean I have to live a perfect life? No, because you can't. You've got to believe in Jesus. And so he says in verse 26, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He asked her, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe, here it is, that you are are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. You see, knowing that Jesus is, is the Christ, it, help us, it helps us in our discipleship. We're supposed to follow him. It helps us in our desperate situations. When you're looking for love and you can't find it, it helps us when we die. No matter what it is, the answer to all of our struggles and situations is this knowing who Jesus is, that he is the Christ. And so you're wondering, what is it about Christians, and what's the core, and what makes them tick? Number one, the Christ. Number two, the cross. And for that, we go back to Mark chapter 8. And look what happens next in verse 31. It says, And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You know, this is kind of weird, man. I mean, right after he reveals his identity, his majesty, his royalty, his deity, he then reveals Calvary. He says, I'm God, I'm the Savior, I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to be killed on a cross. You know, and just in case you're thinking, well, this is just him kind of giving some casual conversation. No, verse 31 says that he was teaching them. It was formal. It was thorough. I mean, 
He's telling them, I'm about to suffer many things and to be rejected by the religious leaders. Wait a minute, shouldn't the religious leaders accept you? You're the, you're the Christ. No, they're going to reject me. They're going to kill me. Luke tells us that they said they were, that Jesus said he was going to be crucified. And then he said, however, in three days, rise again. See, remember like I said earlier, they didn't understand about the, the Savior. They didn't understand the prophecies about the, the Christ. And before the crown that there would be a cross. They didn't know Psalm 22 verse 16 or Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 where the Bible specifically speaks about the Savior being crucified before crucifixion was ever even invented by the Phoenicians. I mean, when we read the Bible now, when we read Isaiah 53, it's obvious to us that, that there would be a suffering servant but for whatever reason, they did not see that. Their concept of Christ was that he would be a king with the crown and he was a conquering Christ. So here, when Jesus tells them, you know, I'm about to die, Peter, who's his friend, he pulls him aside and he gives him, you know, a, a piece of his mind, man. You know, I, I don't know, I hope, you guys hope in heaven one day they'll have videotapes of all these things, man. I have a father-in-law, and he's with the Lord now, but I, he loved me. He loved me, I think, more than Shelly. And I was joking, he didn't. But no, he didn't. That's totally not true. But I tell you what, um, he would correct me. He would correct me. You know, he would, you know what he would say? What's the matter with you? He would, he would say that to me, and I could just hear him say it right now. What's the matter with you? To me, when I'm thinking about Peter, I, I visualize Peter doing the same thing my father-in-law did, you know? Uh, what's the matter with you? You know who you are. We know who you are. You're the king. You're going to set up your kingdom. Yours is the ministry of the restoration of our nation. Far be it from you. You will never die on that cross. I can hear Peter rebuking the Lord. You know, and... and just as a side note, I think it would be good to learn a lesson from Peter's mistake here. You guys, don't try to overrule God, okay? I encourage you, let's do this. Let's settle in our hearts right now. Submit to his teaching. Submit to his will. Submit to his word. Even if you don't understand it, and it might seem bad, whatever it might be, understand Romans 8.28, that God is going to work all things together for good. You know, it's helpful for us to remember how radically different God's plan for your life is than your own. For people who really follow God, it's radically different. You know, that's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. That's a long... I mean, as the heavens are higher than the earth. Think about that. God says, My ways are that much higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, and dear brother, he told me the other day, and I thought this was so cool. He said, do you want to make God laugh? And I said, what? Yeah, do you want to make God laugh? And I said, what? He said, tell him your plans. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true, right? I mean, we got our plans. Oh, God, we got all laid out, and God's just up there laughing. He says, I got something totally different. You're a missionary. You don't even know it. You're a pastor. You don't know it. You're the president of the United States. You don't even know it yet, you know? 
I mean, just think outside the box. Don't be like Peter rebuking him, trying to overrule God's teaching, God's will, God's word. No, God's got things that will blow your mind if only we would surrender to him. It's like the wind, and it blows this leaf. That's who I am. I don't know which way the wind's going to blow, but I, I want to go with the Holy Spirit. I want to follow him. You know, Jesus here actually identifies the problem with Peter there in verse 33. He was under the influence of the devil. <laughs> he was under the influence of Satan. Therefore, his mind was not set on the kingdom of God, but on the kingdom of men. And I don't know which came first, whether it was the devil or his mind being in the wrong spot. But I do know this, that if you just got your mind on this world, then you open doors for the devil to come into your life. Be careful, you guys. Whatever you do, don't build or be all about your kingdom or about the kingdom of men, the things that are base and temporary. I really encourage you guys to follow the call of God and to be consumed with his kingdom, not yours. When was the last time you asked God what he wants you to do? And then you waited and then you listened. When Paul the Apostle got saved, that was the very first thing that he did. When he got saved, blinded by the light there on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Every Christian should do that. But are we doing that? Lord, what do you want me to do? And yeah, we've got our jobs, and yeah, we've got you know, our schedules and things like that, but sometimes we're so locked in, we're buried by it. If only some of the young people and old people could really open up their heart and say, here am I, send me. Lord, do whatever you want to do with my life because there's nothing too hard for you. We have to ask God what he wants us to do. We have to set our mind on things that are above. I love the passage in Colossians 3 and verse 2. It says, set your mind on things above not on things on the earth. And that was one of the mistakes Peter made. And, and you know, I, I think another mistake that he made, and it's a lesson that we can learn, is that we have to be on extra alert after those times of spiritual victory, those times when maybe God so graciously used your life. You know, we see that even in the world of sports. Let's just say this team won a big game against a tough team that they'd been preparing for. Next thing you know, they got another team. They're thinking, ah, oh, it's not going to be a problem. And they get whooped. Why? Because they were, you know, there after that first victory thinking that they're good. And sometimes that happens to us as, as Christians. I mean, here... I don't know if you guys notice this or not, but think about it, man. Peter had just received a supernatural revelation from the Father that Jesus was the Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus even said, and you're the rock, you know? And Peter's probably thinking, yeah, I'm the rock, you know? He's thinking all that. And so he's not, you know, he doesn't got his guard up. Next thing you know, after receiving the word from the Father, who's he listening to now? The devil, Right? Just like that. And that can happen to us, right? Peter let his guard down, and so he got puffed up to the point that he thought he knew better than the Lord. And so what does Jesus do? It's interesting. Um, when you look at the text right here, 
It says in verse 33, but when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. There is a chance that maybe these guys were being influenced by the same devil that was influencing Peter. And he said, oh no, look what you're doing right here. Get behind me, Satan. What does he basically say? Get out of the way. Get out of the way because I am on my way to the cross. And nothing was going to stop him from dying for our sins. Even though it required suffering and pain, he had to experience the punishment that we deserved. Nothing would stop him. Jesus was determined to die the death that demonstrates the love of God and that while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, he cried and died. He bled and shed his blood for us to make us white as snow. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven, not because I'm a good person, because I still blow it. But I know I'm going because I am a blood-bought, bona fide believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he bled and he shed his blood on Calvary to wash away all my sins. One of my favorite passages is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. It says to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see, the cross is man at his worst, God at his best, putting us first, giving us rest. Moved by his love, a bloody distress, he clung to that cross that we might be blessed. And the devil tried to stop him, but Jesus wouldn't be stopped. You see, that's why it's the core of who we are as Christians. What makes you guys tick? You know, what is it about you guys? Well, we got the Christ. And we got the cross. And it's not just the cross for us. Not just his cross. It's also my cross. Very important. And we read that here. It says in verse 34... And when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you open about it? Are you, do you wear that faith in the days, in the life, on your sleeve? Everyone sees it. They know it. You're not ashamed of him. Sometimes you have Christians, no one even knows they're Christians because you would never know it. There's nothing about them that, that proves that they're Christians. They're ashamed. They're ashamed of Jesus. Before who? Before this wicked and sinful generation? Give me a break. Well, if that's you and you're ashamed of Jesus here and now, then let me tell you something. He will be ashamed of you there and then. 
in the kingdom of God with the Father and all the holy angels, and there you stand, you were ashamed of Jesus? Matthew 10, 33, it says, He who confesses me before man, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But he who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Whatever you do, don't be an undercover Christian, you guys. Don't be a secret agent. There's no such thing. You're a Christian. Be proud of it. Wear the t-shirt. Share the faith. Be bold. And as a Christian, know that so much of our life is this cross that we cling to. You know, maybe Peter thought it was going to be easy. You know, some people have that misconception that being a Christian, well, doesn't it mean that being a Christian, I get my way? Isn't that what it means? I pray, Lord. You know, get, uh, no. Jesus said, no way, you don't get your way. Some even flaunt being a Christian means I get what I want, right? For those of you who are parents, let me ask you a question. Um, with your kids, what word do you have to use most? Yes or no? No, by far, huh? You know, the psychologists tell us, well, try not to tell them no. You know, tell them yes as much as you can. And maybe there's something to that, but I will tell you what, the most of the times our kids don't know what to ask for. They don't know better. They're just kids. And so we have to say no. That's a lot of times the way it is as Christians, right? As a matter of fact, here the Lord says that if you want to come after him, that what you have to do is you have to deny yourself. Whoever desires to come after me, oh, Lord, I want to, you know, follow you. I have a fire. I have a desire. I want to be a Christian. Okay, cool. Well, let me tell you the way it works. Let me tell you the truth of the terms that you must trade in your will for his. You must be willing to take up your cross and have faith in Christ and not only who he is, but where he leads. And a lot of times that's what we don't want. Don't get me wrong. One day we're going to have the crown. Have you guys ever seen the Chronicles of Narnia when Lucy and all those guys, they get the crown? One day you're going to get the crown. But before the crown, there's a cross. Always works that way. You know, some read this and mistakenly think it means you have to join, well, I've got to deny myself, so I've got to become a monk and join a monastery. And, um, you know, it's a vow to poverty or celibacy. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. All Jesus is saying is follow me. Follow me. That means two things. Number one, to be like him. And number two, to be led wherever he will lead you. Even if it's a season of suffering and sacrifice, even if it means that one day you will die as a disciple, that's what it means. You know, to, 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 to deny yourself, yourself, has a lot to do with self-control. How many of you guys here are out of control in a bad way, you know? You know, sometimes, man, my, I'll say something, you know, or my wife will say something, and we're in the kitchen, and World War III happens just like that. You know? And the Lord just says, well, part of self-denial is self-control, and you shouldn't have said that word. You need to tame your tongue, right? I mean, it has a lot to do. It's with the heart. It's like, okay, 
I'm going to be like Jesus and I need to deny myself. And so there has to be that self-control because there's self-denial. But it also means going wherever he leads us. And in this case, you want to know what it has to do? It's not necessarily that, you know, I want you to go to Hawaii because the weather's nice. It's not like that. You know, but it might mean that one day he wants you to go to Hawaii to start a church. Or, you know, to Timbuktu. You're like, Lord, I won't go to Timbuktu, but I will go to Hawaii. And God says, okay, well, this is where the cross kicks in. I just want you to do what I made you to do. All of you here, we have gifts and talents. We have purposes. He has plans for us. There is somewhere in the body of Christ where he wants you to serve so that the gospel can go out. And it might be a pastor. It might be an assistant. It might be an overseer. It might be a teacher. It might be a nursery worker. It might be someone in the children's ministry. It might be someone who duplicates CDs or works on websites. It might be someone who prays. It doesn't even matter. Not one part is more significant than the other. But you've got to find your part. You can't just live your own life. You can't. Where do you belong in the body of Christ? If you're a recipient of God's grace, then you must be a participant in the gospel. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That you take up your cross, you deny yourself. He says right there, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You know, sometimes there's a clash between the gospel of heaven and the gains of this world. And sometimes people choose the gains of this world over the gospel. And, and Jesus says, what good is it if you have all the, the, the riches of the world, but you lose your soul? What's he doing? He's calling us to follow him. That's what he's doing. You know, in the final analysis, we all have a place, a position in the body of Christ where we do our part, whatever that may be. I want to encourage you guys, you know, don't just keep living your life like wandering aimlessly, not really having any direction from God, you know, to just see, well, this is see how it all ends up. No, get on your face and start praying and asking God to show you what's the next step. Whatever it is, you know, and I think for me, what I've found in life is wherever he has you, you be faithful there. Uh, you just serve the Lord, and then what he does is he opens doors that will lead you to his perfect will throughout your life. You know, we will find our lives when we're willing to lose our lives for Jesus and the gospel of Christ. Anything else that comes before the Lord, and a lot of times it's ambitions or possessions or relations, you got to let it die. you got to put the Lord first, follow him, and then you watch what he will do. You know, one last passage in John, if you would. John chapter 6. Verse 
Do you guys know that we're living in a world where there's less and less Christians, especially in the States? I mean, you go to China, it's a little different, you know, but, you know, it just, we're, there's a generation that's rising up, and I don't know if you guys see it, I see it so clearly, where they call evil good and good evil. You're Christians, you have convictions about marriage and family and sexual purity, and you have convictions about you know, well, the law says pot's okay, but you say it's wrong, and, and what do they do? It, we're coming now to a point where if you're a Christian and you have convictions that are biblical, they think you're evil. You guys know that, right? And so what's going to happen to the next generation, and what's going on? What we see is there's an apostasy going on, and what we have to do, and I tell my kids, is you better strengthen your faith and get ready, because it's coming. Persecution is coming. There's a great falling away. What will happen to you? Here in John chapter 6, there were people falling away. They were leaving the Lord because they didn't understand Him. They didn't understand His ways. You know, it's crazy to me how sometimes people live in the United States of America and they think that because they're Americans, they're Christians, when in all reality, Jesus Christ does not have their heart. You've got to give Him your heart. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. It's got to be all in or nothing. And so here in John 6, you know, they weren't really committed. So when the tough times came, they fell away. But in John chapter 6, in verse 66, it's interesting. And you guys can remember that, huh? 666. Six, six. John 6, 66. It says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. How many people do we know like that? They were sitting in those chairs, sometimes even preaching in pulpits like this, and they're not walking with the Lord anymore. Let that not be us. Look what happens here. So the Lord, it says in verse 67, he said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you leave Jesus, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? And I encourage you to draw nearer to the Lord than you've ever been. For us as Christians, what is it about us? What makes us tick? Well, we know the Christ and we know the cross where he died for us and we are to die for ourselves. The Bible says he died once for all. We have to die every day for ourselves, to ourselves. And so I encourage you guys, uh, just, man, be careful. The world has a way of just sweeping us away Please, um, be serious about your walk with the Lord. Find out what he wants you to do as a Christian and do it.